Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talon. Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Talon. This is the Original Thinking and Creative Innovation podcast. Is everyone enjoying spring? I had the window open earlier. The shorts are coming out of the drawers. They're soon going to be getting ironed and they'll no doubt be on ridiculously early just as it starts to rain and goes really cold again because we're in England and I never seem to learn this. Um, hope you're all good. hope you're all looking forward to the inaugural DNAD Festival coming up. Uh, I managed to get a ticket through uh, supporters of the show, Illustration Limited, which is uh, tremendous and a nice little privilege. And I'm going to be there doing the rounds, uh, grabbing some words. So if you're down there, come and say hello and you may even get on the show. I'm going to be doing a little investigative special. Uh, 50 years plus, a fantastic organisation, uh, design and art direction, I believe. I was a little gutted to find out that Ralph Steadman's not actually going to be there. He's going to be doing it sort of via satellite. Um, understandable, given that he's uh, an elder statesman of the industry these days, but a little bit disappointed that I couldn't kind of just grab him on the corner somewhere and, you know, have a little chat with a bit of a hero of mine. But anyway, if you're down there, let me know. Just drop us a tweet at Arrest or Mimix on Twitter uh, or an email, arrestormimix at gmail.com on facebook.com forward slash arrestormimix. So today's show is a bit of a window into film, independent film, albeit. Um, I'm going to be chatting to a good friend of mine, uh, future artist, founder, Mark Ashmore, who I met in Manchester. And at an early stage in my career, uh, Mark kind of had the vision to see that I was a little more than just an illustrator, that I had an eye for creativity and I was interested in production design and other areas. So he brought me in and offered me my first role in film as an art director on his debut feature film, The Lost Generation. Uh, totally self-financed. Um, and then... Eventually, not only would Lost Generation bring us in a sci-fi web series for Daily Motion, who are the second biggest video on demand platform on the internet after YouTube, but also it would reel in my dream client, WWE, you know, in a real roundabout way. Um basically we're to think on our feet. Mark showed me just what you you get yourself into when you get into this level of film at the independent end of the cycle. Uh, it's stretching budgets unbelievably thin, thinking on your feet, problem solving all the time. Um Really making a lot from a little, and the complete lack of production budget for the Lost Generation forced me to create these sets on almost sort of eight foot by one meter wide uh, paper banners from B and Q for three quid a roll, and the sort of organic, fast nature of these things because we had no time was it was great. It played into my style. It looked good on camera, and the creative director at World Wrestling Entertainment spotted them and said, look, that's exactly what I need uh, to drop behind these wrestlers. We've got little time to do it. We work in these backstage boiler rooms uh, in, in arenas, for example, and your sets can provide me with something different. So do you want to create 15 for all the villains? And I was like, wow, oh my God, my head fell off. Uh, so I have a lot to thank Mark for in that respect. We're going to be talking through all that sort of scary, stressful world as I find out as I found out, I should say, during my two projects in film. We're going to be discussing our own work together, why I stormed off set and called Mark a prick in front of actors dressed as strippers <laughs> on one particular scene. Um, we're going to be talking about just how stressful it gets on set at any level of film and how people lose their minds with one another. But then it's all fine by the end of the day, nine times out of ten, because it's the nature of the beast. It's a high-octane, high-pressured environment, and... For anyone who's got any aspirations of working in that world, be it with makeup, with set design, with uh, you know prop design, uh, production design, illustration, graphic design, it's Mark's the man to speak to, and he gives us a really good um, 
overview of the sort of introductory world and will tell us about his own story. Um, Two, so he's a great guy to speak to. Um, Future artists do way more than just film. They work with live events, with um, creative public spaces. Uh, You know, they've just launched the home of Honest Coffee uh, in Manchester, which is a new co-working space and coffee shop with a little bit of a twist, as he will tell us about later on. But it really is a nice insight to uh, for anyone really who's interested in sort of film, television, moving image. It's a really, uh, it's a really exciting insight to that world. We're going to be getting another social media slash SEO tip from uh, one of our sponsors, Heart Internet, later on in the show today. This is a new feature, um, kindly provided by those guys. Uh, just giving you a few little bite-sized, easily digestible pointers that can help you improve your social media marketing presence, your website's uh, prominence on Google. It's, you know, I guess when you're younger this sounds like boring shit, but the truth is we all need to learn this stuff and it's actually pivotal now to rising above the vast swathes of competition in our industry. So we've got that coming up a little bit later, which you can find around the one hour and two minute mark if you want to jump forward to that or you're in a rush or you're coming back to the show. There's your minute reference to pick up Pat's great tip for today, which we all need because we're all creatives and we're all working in a digital environment and these guys are really going to help us over the coming months to maximise how you use these wonderful tools at your tips. So I catch up with Mark in my studio in Woolwich and here's that conversation. So do get in touch. Let us know your thoughts on previous shows. I hope you enjoyed Jacqueline Bissett uh, on the last episode. Actual actual smash uh, of a hit. I mean, you know, people absolutely loving Jackie's story and insight into fashion illustration. So go back and check that out if you missed it. Um, go and check out what Illustration Limited are up to. Illustrationweb.com. Follow them on all social media channels. Uh, pretty easy to find with the biggest agencies in the world doing really cool work across animation, illustration and design. Um, get in touch with the guys, always on hand to help you. Uh, I hope you enjoy this show. Uh, give us a shout uh, and see if you still fancy the world of film after this conversation with Mark Ashmore of Future Artists. The heater, if you want a heater, the Dyson stand-up one, they do cold air and then hot air, it's in the same device. They're about 100 and something quid, but literally it's it's low wattage and it just sits up there and it blows the air in. And okay. Wait, is that, is that what, what sort of heat is that? Um, I'm going to do it to heat the coffee shop up with, but you, it'll fill this room up Because we're only allowed oil heat, this is the annoying thing, it's like the health and safety thing means we can only have oil heaters, so... Oh, no, it's safer than oil. It's, a, it's like a cold... It's, it's, a, it's the Dyson... Um, it's over in a propeller. It's this tube, it's this thing. Okay. It's like oh. st- science Dyson stuff. I'll look them up and see if I can... I'll send you a link, when I get one, I'll send you one over, so... Yeah. I'll have a look and see if I can square it away. Because all that does is... And it heats and it just goes up like that. This one, it blows yeah. it out into the room and, and spreads okay. it out. Okay, that's what like I need to avoid another artist winter. I can't. I don't have many more in me. Yeah. Well, the other one is just, you could, well, I think we talked about this, build a tent within the... <laughs> See, I, I struggle to bring myself to going down the gazebo route, but... <laughs> oh, God, there's a, there's a... That's a podcast, isn't it? Just on heating artist had to, studios. Had to keep warm as a... As an impoverished artist. <laughs> oh, God. Right, well, then, tell us about your background then, Mark, because... It's always a good starting point. All right, so uh, <laughs> my background. Well, 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 where are you from? Uh, I, I do know this. I always forget. All right, so no, I, I started off in um, Alfreton, Derbyshire, and it's a small 
village. Yeah. Well, it's like a town, almost a village. Well, there's nothing goes off in there. There's no theatres or art galleries or any cinema and stuff like that. So, and I was thinking about this, like how my journey began as an artist. And I was the kid that we used to go on my own on the train to Nottingham from a very early age, like 14, where our mother mates weren't going on trains or even public transport. Um, and I would go to Nottingham to the lace market area, which was kind of the shortage of its day, but really not. Like, I had three vintage shops and an independent cinema and yeah. you know, and cheap sandwich shops and stuff like that. And I used to go there and just hang out like on my own and walk in places and see stuff and go and buy in, you know, with my money from my Saturday job or my paper round. I used to go and buy a cool shirt from there, you know, mm. 40 quid or whatever. Yeah. But everyone else would go to Burton's in Alfreton. So, yeah, I was at Burton's at that point. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> heading down there. You step ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Peter Worth and <laughs> Paul Smith and stuff like that. Yeah. The, uh, the fashion retailer down there. Yeah. Um, How did you know about that? How did you find out about that first? I think I was going shopping with my parents once and I just saw this really interesting shirt. It, what it was, I think, was we walked past Ted Baker and they have the really interesting shop windows, very artistic, and they've, they've, even when I was 14, they've, they've always had them. And I remember just remember that part of town being very different and I guess that's why I wanted to go and see it. I didn't know that it was going to lead to a career in the arts and trying to make creative space that was very much your I guess well okay, so I know you do a lot of things but I met you as a film director so did, did, would you trace that as an origin for? I know? started off as an actor so that even that was an evolution to meet you so but your work in film would you say that that place you just told me about the vintage shops in the cinema was that sort of your entry was that your entry point was that a, your entry yeah so I was a film? big I was, I was into Shane Meadows who done it was a very independent filmmaker then he did 24-7 with Bob Hoskins and uh a Room for Romeo Brass, again, films that you'd have to go and discover on VHS and renting them from video shop, you know. Mm. Uh, he was from Nottingham, and I knew that he went to the Broadway cinema, and there was a course that he went on, and I made sure when I was, I think, 16, I went on that course. Oh, really? The That's same cool. course that he was on. It was like a three-day, if you're unemployed or got no money or you're at college, you can get it for 100 quid. If you're in full-time employment, you get it for 250 quid. And so there was me and six others went on this course and it was the first time we did video editing and filmmaking yeah. um, in a professional environment. And it was the where Shane Meadows, um, I think it was called Intermedia. Okay. Intermedia in Nottingham. Yeah. Um, and that was my first time and I was like, oh, this is a cool professional environment. I've, like, I've made it, I can go make a film. <laughs> I couldn't, didn't do anything for many, many years. Um, and then from that, I tried to uh, get on film sets doing work experience. So we, in Nottingham, we had um, Central, um, Central TV, uh, which is part of ITV, um, where they did like uh, peak practice and crossroads. Mm. And I tried to get work experience on set, but being 16, 17, um, it, it, you, legally now looking back at it you couldn't employ anybody even for making yeah. cups of tea you wouldn't be allowed to do it but the entry point in was as soon as I could drive at 17 um, I, I became an extra in telly so I was on a film set learning how television and film worked but also getting paid 70 or 80 quid a day which as a 17, 18, 19 year old. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. So I, I, it's funny. I find it interesting how how, um, how early various people connect with, you know, their art. I, at that because at that point, I, I mean, seventeen, I was working at Netto still, 
now a Scandinavian budget supermarket in Keyfley. The cheap man's uh, little. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it was definitely it was below little on the on the packing order, and um, and I was getting forty five pounds a week for three evening shifts. I felt loaded. I'd come off six quid pocket money to um, to that. It was the glory days before the minimum wage, Ben. Mm-hmm. Two sixty three an hour. Yeah, three sixty an hour at sixteen. I thought I was a king. I missed Leeds United versus Manchester United on my season ticket. Sold it at first value so that I could work a Sunday shift at Netto. Dual time. So yeah, I won't ever be accused of not having <laughs> not having honest roots. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting then because so that's a, that's an early that's early for um, for anyone to know what they wanted to do. Most people don't know what they want to do at four. To know and have that kind of drive at sixteen, seventeen to go and get extras work. Well, it was just, it was it was how do you solve a problem because you're from you're from Alfreton, which is not even Nottingham, so you have to get on the train to Nottingham, and Nottingham is not even London or LA or anything, so it's it's third and fourth tier on the old creative arts and uh, you're like oh, how do I solve this problem and I think that for me is a big key what mm. I do in the arts is how do I solve the problem so the problem was I was in the library at school and I was reading this you get these big books and like what your career could be or something and you had to read them as mandatory so and I was flicking through and I went straight to the film and television bit and I was mm. like well how does a how do you go from Alfreton to work in film and television it was like well it said here, a good career could be uh, an extra, which is not an actor, but is an extra. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't, you know, and I, and I was like, um, and then I was working at a nightclub in Mansfield handing flyers out. So, n- not designing them, anything like that, shivering cold in the winter, mm. um, giving out flyers. And there was a couple of girls there that were like models, promotion staff, you know, so you got chatting to them, they were like, yeah, we're doing performing arts, but we're also doing extras work. And we're with this agency called Selex, who are based in Derby. And I went, all right, could I get the number? And they're like, well, there's the number. Just say that so-and-so um, said you could go and speak to them. And so through that introduction, that early networking, I rang them up and said, you know, can I join your agency? Because so-and-so said that I'd be good at it. And they went, oh, she's good, so we'll we'll take your application. So, mm. so from that, it was about becoming reliable and, and getting to know the agency and being booked onto loads of jobs. And, uh, and that yeah. took a while to figure out how the industry worked from that perspective. But yeah. yeah. yeah that so was, with that kind that of... An end. So I suppose with that kind of... Um, still had no skills though, Ben. I still didn't... But you can learn the skills. The, the drive is not so easy to learn. You know, it's just like, I think... Um, for you, to, for you to, to for you to seek that out so so early and actually have the, the you know not just be more interested in playing computer games or whatever like a lot of kids still, still did that would be of course they did well, we do all, where it comes we from I, 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 this is this is genuine now like where it comes from and this is for your listeners is if I think you could take this back to any great creatives or artists that if they had in a 20th, 20th century version a milk round or a paper round now I had a paper round at 12 and you legally couldn't have one until you were 13 mm. but I had one at I was two months off my 13th birthday and my dad used to come round so he used to get up at six o'clock in the morning for an hour before he went had to be up yeah. to, to, to ride round and, we, and I got £12 a week which was the best paper round in Alfreton that yeah. you could have and my dad got up with me at 12 and so from I've worked since I was say 13 years old doing a paper round that means that I know how it is to get up and, and go mm. through the snow to deliver those papers. And then the value, and my dad used to teach me the value of what a pound was, which is basically how, if I wanted that computer game that cost 40 quid for the Sega Master System, how many hours would I have to shiver outside to accumulate 40 pounds? How many days' work was it? And was it worth it in the end, or was there something else that you could get? So from an early age, he didn't drill it into me. 
I experienced it. Yeah. And that, for that work ethic... It was the ultimate learning tool. The ultimate learning tool. So I, when I'm interviewing people and when I'm um, finding my key collaborators, we always go back and talk about what did you do when you were 16 or what did mm. you do... Even when people go earlier, you know, you talk about the Neto days, and yeah. I bet there was something I, I was, before that I was as well. Paper on as well, same, same, 12, 12, 13 local paper run, six quid, so I was yeah. on half, half of that. It was quite an easy round, it was in blocker flats, so I got a little more shelter. Yeah. Uh, there was an outdoor bit, but I got to sit in the stairwells and, and choose the best papers for my scrapbooks for Leeds United to find the best photos. Yeah. <laughs> I used to hate, did you hate Sundays, where they used to have I, free I, supplements? It was, it was optional for a pound extra. Mine was seven days a week. I used to say that. I said it one in three Sundays. So seven days a week, and I did it for four years. And I didn't. And I had time off and went on holiday. And then I had a Saturday job um, doing jacket potatoes in yeah. in Alfred. And so I like top money up. So I was think I was the richest fifteen year old that had I don't know twenty quid from this potato thing, and I could chat up girls because they used to come and get free potatoes from me. So I was like in this like the king in the centre of town. Yeah. Like let's go see Mark. He's got the potatoes and as many jacket potatoes as I could eat, and I was really skinny. Um, and then the paper, before that I did the paper and then that, so yeah, I was on like 30 odd quid a week and I was mm. doing my GCSEs, um, at that, yeah. you know, a bit prior yeah. and then up, up to that, so. So how long did you do the extra work for? I did that all through college, so obviously the paper round and the potato shop went, um, I did it all through college and then into university, so it funded me to, mm. it got me in my car, which is a beige C-Reg Fiesta. <laughs> awful car did the miles and did it did its duty and then um it i funded myself to go to university but i think because i had all these little jobs and stuff that i actually did mess up my gcse's a little bit and a bit of my a levels because i went to university a lot later than everyone else i went three years yeah. after everyone else as a bit of a mature student but i put myself through it myself through work and and, and got all the grants and all that sort of stuff and hardship loans and things like that so you know you when you know when you've messed up, you know you've got to focus. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you do. I went two years later than everyone else as well, and it, I, it certainly benefited me. I was I'd got two years of weekend drinking out of my system back home. Yeah. So that by the time I came, I was pissed all the, the time uh, on my A levels. The appeal wasn't the same as everyone else arriving for the first time, first time off the leash. I had two years of that, so by the time I got there, yeah, don't get me wrong, I did it, but not to that extreme, and also, and certainly not to the, uh, the sacrifice of my studies. You know. Well, I missed my. An hour of my uh, A-level drawing class because I went out with the drama a lot the night before celebrating the play that we'd done and I was I, I was late in an hour because we got drunk out of hangover and we got stuck in traffic in Spencer Ford's Chinkichenko because it couldn't get through the traffic <laughs> and I missed an hour of my drawing class which was only two hours and drawing wasn't my strong point so I did some sort of rudimentary sketch. Mm. Gus, who was our art teacher and my form tutor at the time just looked in disgust as I rocked in an hour later with a stinking hangover mm. to my A-level drawing class. And then the final examination piece for the GCSE drama where I had a second lead role to it, I went out with all my mates. All my mates that I'd grown up with all went into factories. They didn't do A-levels or anything, so I was out drinking with them. Mm. And I was like, oh, I've got to be on stage at half seven and I had like three pints in the, in the form before I went and did it. So um, my A-level drawing which is art, yeah. messed it up. Drama, which is now a filmmaker, yeah. I turned up. Yeah, so you, you look back at that and go, fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can swear on this thing, but yeah, yeah. absolute, like, what a disgrace to, my, to myself. So when I went to university later, looking back at that, I went, I'll be the first to arrive and the last to leave. And then even in my work life now, it's like, yeah, I could be that guy. And I wasn't that bad. 
but I could do that. You make decisions in life, or you could be this focused individual that goes, actually, what do I want to achieve in life? And I was like, well, it's hard work doing what we do. And you've got to work three times as hard as somebody who's got a blank check and is quite rich and is well-funded. So, But it is possible. Mm. But you've got to put the hours in. Yeah, well, it's the David versus Goliath thing, isn't it, all over again? You find ways to balance out those disadvantages or you know again are they disadvantages or do you uh, do you turn them into advantages that's the mindset that you actually need it's rocky mindset isn't it yeah, yeah. It, well it has to be it's the only way really I think um, so to your own filmmaking what was the what was the um, what was the process that took you from being an extra to actually thinking I'm going to start making films so the big jump came I was, I, I, so I progressed through being an extra I got some professional work as an actor qualified at university and I was on Life on Mars season two, which was a big BAFTA award winning BBC thing. And I was um, John Sim, who's quite a big actor in the UK. I was his standing, I was his body double. So all the hands and the driving scenes in that show, it's me. Um, that for me was my film school. We shot it on 16mm. I was rehearsing the scenes for the main actor, so I was pretty much in every scene, although they never turned over the, the camera on me. Um, and it means that I, I work with every single department. So prior to that, I wanted to be a film director. When I left that after th- six months of working with the BBC, I'd had the best film school experience in the world and it didn't cost me a dime. I got paid for it and I made sure that I made loads of contacts. And while I was on set in my downtime, because there was a lot of downtime on that, I was writing my first... Um, I thought it was going to be a short film because it was like, make a short film, get in a festival, you get seen, you become a Hollywood director. Um, <laughs> as easy as that. But I wrote a script called Your State of Emergency, which had, um, which had started when I was um, backpacking after university, after seeing a lot of stuff that had happened in the world. Um, and I finished it on Life on Mars. I'd sit on the back of the camera wagon or the light, where the lights are kept, writing this thing out and honing it and honing it. And then the giant leap to making that film, I went back to Alfreton, lived with my parents, hired camera gear from people, uh, a guy called Ian Brown that was my tutor at college. Um, he lent me a load of kit. Uh, I used some of the crew from Life on Mars. I had the gaffer on Life on Mars who did my lights. Provision, again through Life on Mars, gave me the lights for free. They gave me a transit van full of lights. Um, and then I, the, these people have stuck with me over the, the next films and stuff. So these people have all been paid since on other jobs but this was the moment that they gave me a transit van full of lights I've managed to blag a warehouse in Alfreton to use as four locations for this film I used actors that I, were extras that I'd met on set for the, the ones that I knew could act uh, wrote them in people from my university course were cast in it as well um, my old flatmate was, had a part in it I had a part in it um, and we shot it over three days in Alfreton in the winter and then another two days two months later that was sort of these cutaways and things were needed five day shoot and then I moved to Manchester um, to begin my career post Life on Mars living with the third AD because she had a spare room uh, who was on Life on Mars and editing it in her little attic with my edit suite I managed to save up for and over four months edited my first film mm. called Your State of Emergency which then got into I put it into the Cannes Film Festival in short film corner, which anybody can do. So you just apply, pay 90 mm. euros, and you get it in at the Cannes Film Festival. So that I use that for press and promotion. And then when it was at the, at the Cannes Film Festival, it got watched by the Strasbourg Film Festival, which is bordered between Austria and Germany, France, I think. 
and it got selected. So it was screened at the Strasbourg Film Festival. No accolades, didn't win anything, but it was a film, you could see the progression there. Yeah. And so having spent, and that was a year of my life from writing it myself, to casting it, to rehearsing the actors, to, I produced it all myself. There was no ADs or anything, there was mm -hmm. a crew of like eight people. Um, and you've worked on my previous work and I yeah. think there was a crew of 14 people, yeah. so we've really not jumped up in crew. <laughs> But I, I did everything. I remember walk, walking onto the set for the first time and couldn't eat, feeling physically sick because I had so much pressure on me. Yeah. And I had to move a camera, direct the actors, and, and I did it. And people have looked at that work. And, and you can watch that on YouTube. So Google Your State of Emergency if you're watching this, listening to this. Um, it's all right. And it's got big social commentary, though. It's about the world mm -hmm. and what can happen if the, uh, if the powers that be get their way and, and rip a family apart and stuff. So it, it really... For what's happening yeah. right now it's still pertinent and, and on it but it was like an angry young man wanting to be a film producer director and also make a statement of what he'd seen in the world yeah. and that for me was uh, was yeah. your state so that's how I started I find it fascinating because of what you said there that anyone can enter their film to Strasbourg is true and um, or to Cannes but I got selected sorry to, to Cannes yeah. yeah but but the point being um, not anyone can do 70% of that process as you explained you won't find in any textbook or in any course how to blag a van full of lights how to <laughs> think on your feet to that degree and actually pull together with very little resources all the tools to make a film and I think that's you know that's the making of, of anyone in the arts it's the big steel or borrow mentality and Particularly in film, I mean, we'll we'll talk in a minute, in a minute about you know the projects we worked on, and that was I suppose my film school was the stuff that we've worked on, you know, just for the same, and it's it's been a huge asset in actually going on to do this podcast and to writing and all these things was to be on set and work as part of a team like that where everyone has to get along and everyone has to have little relationships within that, and it all has to work because shit, you know, how you manage portal, I'll never know, and that's just a, a project with twenty odd people maybe cast and crew, you know. And it blew my mind that you could get all those people there on time every day and have this call sheet and do all those things. Well, I mean, that's Sarah Lee Jones, who I work with very, very closely. She's, you know, basically part of that process as yeah. well. So, um, But understanding, yeah, understanding... A lot of it's people management. On set, everyone thinks it's about creativity, which it is, but the creativity actually comes from people. So if I wasn't like, Ben, your creative time is between the hours of... 12 and 2 and then you've, you've got to achieve it there because between 2 and 4 we'll be filming what you've created Yeah, that's all the process is so it's like but obviously you can't do it in those 2 hours so you've got 3 weeks before yeah. that you can prep for those 2 hours and that's but that across actors learning their lines learning their characters cameraman lenses lights mm. sound design costume yeah. the other hundred things that goes into it it's just you go back and go at this point in time is when your time to shine is but you will begin the process three weeks before well yeah. that's the pre-production phase well that's it the, the, for me it was a year before that of know? course I'd so already the, started yeah, we, had, we, we met had a conversation of probably like you say a year, year and a half before it from meeting, meeting in corner out in Manchester me you and Danny Skerritt who Dirty Freud worked on the, the soundtrack for two productions but um, fucking hell I had Finally, breakdowns on that project, which was brilliant. It was simultaneously, oh, it was simultaneously like the most exciting thing that I'd done, and the most nerve-wracking thing that I'd done. Because, like you say, you know, I was fully in the trenches. What happened in my instance was I'd gone from working in a, in a more or less entirely two-dimensional environment, with the with the exception maybe of the little bits we did on Lost Generation and the stuff that that led to the set design for WWE, which was still two D but worked in a three D on camera environment, whereas you know backdrops. But then it went. 
from that to suddenly now you have to have the same vision starting with the sketching process like I always did, but now the end result is a full three dimensional all singing, all dancing, uh, you know, environment, but with very little budget to work with and no real knowledge of where I will even start to get these props beyond Wilkinson's and, and Poundland. Always start at Wilkinson's and Poundland, <laughs> even when you're the got fact, a budget, always start. The reason it. I was there in the first place was because you had the, you had the, the trust and the vision to see what I'd been doing and think, well, you can probably come and do this in film. And fucking hell, it's like, you know, I, I didn't know if I could. I, I, I wanted to believe that I could and there was something telling me that I could, but then what happened then is you, you, know, you, you come along one day with a bit bit of paper and write down the name of the film props warehouse in Trafford. I didn't know these things existed, a film props warehouse, what? Let it even start with that, you know? So I, I go down there and it's a labyrinth of Everything files and globes and anything from beds to cabinets to, I mean, it's crazy, it's like I don't know, it's, it's bric-a-brac on acid it's, but it's fantastic and, um, and I've got a small budget but actually all of a sudden now it's like, well I didn't know I could get any of this stuff, so it all starts to make a little bit more sense. And then I don't have any DIY skills whatsoever, so I said to you, like, Mark, can I bring in a mate, Kev, who's just finished Legend, a video editing, editing project in Oldham, and he's working nights at Asda, but bless him, still gave his days to come in and on, you know, whatever, 200 quid to come in and work with me and cobble together all these massive props. But the point being, it's, it was such an organic process to have all those people in there and make it work. And when you imagine that going on, you know, times whatever it is for major productions. It's just well, I mean, there's, there's prospect. Everyone thinks that suddenly you get money and then all your problems go away. Actually, it can it can it can create more problems because people become less creative because they go, we can buy our way out of this. Whereas you know, we can just spend and get that elaborate piece of artwork. Whereas I said we need a bit of artwork to that white that wall is too white in the middle of my shot. And you're like, well, let's just grab that thing that we had from the Great Northern Warehouse, that advert, and let's just... I've got some paints, I'll just... Mm. And then suddenly you've got this original kind of abstraction piece of work that then gets hung in the bad guy's lair uh, on a wall and breaks it up and looks iconic. Yeah. And, and that just came from two people going, we've got these things and we've got these skills and I need <laughs> four that. Minutes and within four minutes, I think it was still wet while it, it was... It was, uh, it was still wet on screen, yeah. yeah. Four minutes to create that. And, I, and it, that was like the... In- instinctive to the max, it really was. But like you say, totally it's, uh, in the moment stuff. But on an f- actual big film set, there'd be a lot of department meetings to get to that. What I like about independent stuff and low budget independent is if you work with the right artists and if you work with the r- the right artists that have got multiple skill sets, like we all have on Portal and Lost Gen and um, even the the. Home of Honest Coffee and, and things that aren't film-related projects have multiple skill sets across the board, and I look for those people mm. all the time. We can problem-solve within within five minutes. Yeah. And there ain't much talking about it, because we all know that that's yeah. the right answer, because we know that it needs to be done, so that'll right. work, and why do we need to talk about it all the time? Because yeah. because we know, and you need to trust yeah. the instinct. I had this conversation recently with John Newbegin, who is uh, one of our previous guests, and he's the chair of Creative England. And I came across him because he'd written a piece in The Guardian saying that academic subjects are not all things for all kids, um, contrary to the beliefs of the current government. And what's happening is you've got um, you've got box checking in an exam format in education. And then in the real world, you've got this increasingly digital creative 
uh, you can't put fluid what you and I do into a box no, because the box would be 50 pages and it still wouldn't make sense to yeah. the reader because they'd lose after the yeah. first 10 pages. It's, it's creative thinking, it's adapting, it's uh, it's thinking on your feet and, it, and it's using, it's maximising what you've got and like you say, unfortunately there aren't exams for those things so to integrate that, that's going off track, the whole education thing. No, 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 why you're on that though, that all creatives should almost have a military training because those logistics that you have in the military and put that with creativity is just how we work at Future Artists. It means yeah. that your logistic pipeline, but each of it is a, is a creative stage. That's kind of what needs to be taught in schools and mm. how to harness the creative industries is, 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 is focused thinking of logistics and then let the free spirit of creativity go, merge those together, and the creative knows when to rein themselves in because of this other training that they've had. And that's, yeah. that's how I think we should get forward on things, but... Mm. Well, I think I agree. I agree. So just to just to jump a little bit, I mean, so Lost Generation. I mean, a lot, a lot of your a lot of your film work has, has well, how would I term it? It's been uh, it's very much what you said about state of emergency. It's always had that feel of dissa- angry, dissatisfaction, angry dis- disagree- young man disagreeability. <laughs> yeah, yeah, angry young man to a degree, but it's often been relevant and it's been over time and it's um, and it's, you know. Portal came off the back of Lost Generation, right? So you've self-financed Lost Generation, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, got the debt to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and off the back of Lost Generation, uh, Daily Motion, who are the second biggest video on demand yeah, platform so on you, the internet. YouTube are number one, Daily Motion number two, French-owned European, and Screen Yorkshire then match-funded what Daily Motion put in. So we got a proper, I think, seventy thousand pound budget, yeah. which sounds a lot of money to the listeners, but. As you know, when you start paying proper wages to everybody and having a little bit of budget for some kit and lenses and insurance, it yeah. gets eaten up very quickly. So. Yeah, very quickly. It does. And, um, and then Portal was very much the same, right? So, it's, you know, I guess um, looking at the current people lost in technology, I suppose, but it's, it's suggestive of that. Yeah. Um, so what I do is I look at, I look at society and I look at um, what what could possibly go wrong and what mistakes are glaringly obvious to me and why aren't why isn't society noticing them so with the lost generation it was what can people get away with but then use the media as a sort of smoke and mirrors kind of thing so it was about a reality tv star that could go out and murder people um if the if the producers in cahoots with like the government when well it's a game show but if we kill this person this person which the government want to get rid of because it's deemed as entertainment then it'll be okay and even if anybody questions it they've all watched it on telly so they're kind of complicit to that and that's what I tried to get across in that was that the media can be manipulated by those who are in control to whatever ends they want At the extremes you see that in China with they've got their own state media and things like that but it happens in England all the time. We've got the opinions of the Daily Mail and the opinions of uh, the Murdoch Empire. The BBC is very much manipulated, although it's very well respected around the world. Where is the free press? The free press might be on blogs, it might be here, there and everywhere. But it, for them to survive, have got to have ads and, and, and media have got to support them. It's really, it's really a mess. Um, Portal was how social media and how people want to live their lives in there and get lost in a digital world and live in a digital world more than they want to live in the real world because they want to escape the real world. Portal was about what happens if you... What's the extreme of that if you just live in a digital world? But 
what happens if it was switched off and you could no longer enter that digital world? You'd, you'd be an addict wandering the streets trying to always get back to Narnia, to the, to the digital world, but you can't get there. And if you could get there, there'll be somebody selling you, a, you know, a, a drug dealer or, or somebody illegally can sell you into that world. So the more we become reliant on technology and, and Facebook and Facebook owning Oculus Rift and virtual reality and these new worlds that will be created in the next five years' time, there'll be young kids, you see the Call of Duty generation all chatting to each other and they get lost in there for hours or, or the fantasy role-playing, yeah. war game kind of, World of Warcraft kind of stuff. And there's a good documentary on Second Life where people actually live in there and make things for Linden dollars and things like that. I was like, well, that world already exists, but technology and, and software will allow it to look almost real. Um, and virtual reality will almost let that real. So Portal was about people losing themselves in a, in a VR world um, and the consequences of that and what little characters and stories would come out of that. Um, so yeah, there is, a, there is a through line and I try and get away from it all the time. I try and say, I'm going to make a film about <laughs> cartoon characters that are really happy or something. Mm. But then it drags me around and I go, well, if I'm going to spend three years on that, well, I think this needs to be said. I'm going to spend, I yeah. should spend three years... Because you're only really in a career... I'm lucky that I've made two feature films and I'm 34 and I'm from Alfred, like we discussed earlier. That doesn't happen. So I already know an, an anomaly. And people mm. look at me and go, how did you do that? And I went, well, we're kind of getting some of that process out now. So I know I'm very lucky. So if I get... the Like I just come back from the Venice uh, Bellinale, I'm like, as I said to you at, over dinner, I never even researched what that was. And it was like this biggest opportunity that... A lot of people in the world have never had. I'm walking blind now in this world. I'm going, well, what's the next story that I want to tell? Mm. And I think I've got to keep doing this proper um, statement stuff as an artist because that is really what art's about for me right now because of the world we're in. If I suddenly retreated to something safe to make some money, I'd be cheating myself. Mm. I'd probably be cheating you and cheating everybody that I've worked with because then yeah. you've put me in a position where I can say something and then I go and say something about fluffy animals yeah. that, that talk well, and, and, and we, need like it, we need it more than ever because <laughs> now, right now it's people like me and you who care about bigger issues against, against cat videos selfies fucking cat and photos of selfie sticks and, and, fo- and photos of, of ultrasound scans that's, yeah. that's oh yeah they're, they're making a, a big one now aren't they because the, the digital the old yeah. I'm having a baby but look at my fetus it's three weeks old it's fucking it's awful and no disrespect to anyone who's ever put a picture of an ultrasound because I know a good few and I can understand that's a happy moment but the, the, I'm not having a deal with those people the point but my point is you post an article about transatlantic trade investment um yeah, yeah, I've been following that. Well. I forgot about yeah, yeah, the, the, the yeah. <laughs> partnership, yeah. of course, which is this huge uh, deal between the UK and the US, which is very much clock and dagger, and it will give corporations power over governments, and it's fucking horrible. You put us, and I, I've put articles up about that. No, no engagement. No one's interested. But a picture of me with fucking some Coronation Street extra, and you get seventy people liking it. Yeah, that's what we're up against, and that's sad. And, well, maybe uh, we. I mean, this is where I really, I really respect what Banks is doing because he he he, he creates the Dismaland that that you know is subversive for um, for whatever for the mainstream and gets people engaged with it and where they queue outside and yeah and and thousands of people go. Plus, it also benefits the lo- you know local community. I think they made twenty million pounds spent on burgers and hotels and trains and yeah. whatever. So he's 
he's a he's a very clever artist, and that's what I, you know. I, I don't say I aspire to that, but I think our generation of artists need to understand commerce because we ain't going to get any arts council money. We're not getting any grants. Mm. The conservatives fucking hate giving money away, so they're certainly not going to give it to the artists. Mm. They're not even giving it to the NHS, so they're not going to give it to the artists. No. So we need to be really clever business people to survive, to, to be able to, to, to get our, our word out there and eat, because there's no dole anymore, there's no dole culture for artists, there's no working tax credits culture for artists, they're right to cut that. Mm. So to be an artist, to say something, you've got to survive, so we've got to be business savvy. But then also, if we are in a position where we can do it, we should say, and we should be at the front saying it. And I, like you, have always got this to and fro in whether we should be the ones to go out there and, and be those leaders. And I've realised over the past couple of years that I am kind of a leader and I don't want to be, but I've actually realised that I've got to be. So my organisation... It's a heavy, it's a heavy weight, isn't it? You suddenly realise that actually... I mean, you've been leading it all the time and yeah. then suddenly you go, well, I am the leader then. Because yeah. I'm always like, you know, we can all do this together and all this. But then I realised that there's only over three people mm. that only ever do it. And I'm like, well, you're the ones that should always be paid or should always be called upon first. And they make up the nucleus of future artists. And I'm, well, it just gives a little, bit, a little overview of future artists because we've not really explained to listeners. Jumped in on the old film, haven't we? We are, well, we are, well, we have. It's, I mean, it, you know, like I always like to keep this loose for that reason because it always goes its own way, which is nice. But but future artists is your company, right? And um, where were you at with it when I met you? I think you'd. 2010. It was met. Broken Britain, yeah. You did, you did Broken Britain. You got, you, I got introduced through Claire O'Connell, who was designing your ebook um, for, for that film and asked me to design the cover. And that's how we met. So, But you were very small. Was it just you at that point? Or were you, were you doing the usual? Yeah, well, no, there, was like, there was me and um, an ex girlfriend um, doing it. And uh, it was a very loose company. It was like, well, this is what we think the future could be. It would be a collective of artists and business people that work within a network and all the resources. It's like a virtual film studio. So if you needed somebody, they'll be in your social network. Um, and so. For many years, it, it continued like that, and then I, then I realised that this 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 loose network of individuals would do events and networking things and and little things like that. And we were working out of a cold um, mill, Islington Mill in Salford, um, trying to get video commissions and corporate videos and things, very soul destroying things. And I was, you know, so then we future artists. Then eventually, we got a venue called the Black Line, which was a pub, which was closed down. And we turned upstairs into artist studios and then the middle uh, function room was like a theatre stroke cinema stroke where you have your 30th birthday um, and a little bar in it. And then downstairs there was food and drink. That was kind of the accumulation of almost phase one of future artists where this network of theatre makers, filmmakers, um, creatives had some cheap studios and obviously you had a space there. We had a permanent space there for the first time ever. And then there was a space in the building, an event room, this function room, where things could happen. So people could put some theatre on or some film on. And so future artists then started to promote all these people and then bring people to shows, lots of art happenings. And then I always wanted to make a feature film, so The Lost Generation. So out of that collective, all those people coming together, and we also used the Black Line as a film location in The Lost Generation, um, it all kind of came together at that point where this kind of thinking would work and it would be able to make a product or, you know, the Lost mm. Generation feature film with 12 individuals working just weekends over three years, over 12 shooting days and then getting a distribution deal. And that was the 
that was a, a step over from doing your state of emergency. But the thinking was already there, but it's always like bringing people together. What we've got now with Future Artists version 2 is that we've had to become more savvy because we, you know, there was a lot of beg, stealing and borrow going on in the Black Lion days, but you couldn't continue and build a business on that. But I took the ethos of how we work and why we do what we do, like the mission statement, which is without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible, which is a Frank Zappa quote. And if we only do things that stick by that, there's no point wasting my time on. Again, it must be the fluffy animals that talk to each other, the cartoon that I could mm-hmm. make but choose not to because that's not deviating from the norm unless they're radical animals with bazookas. <laughs> radical anim- anim- animals in sight rats. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably the future artist calendar. We'll probably make that. You'll probably draw it. Um, so future artist version two now, so what future artist is now is that we run a space called the Great Northern Warehouse, which is a big £75 million development in the middle of Manchester, but we do it with our ethos, so the artwork and the events all reflect the character of without deviation from the norm. Um, the film Portal came out of that as well, and we've just come back from Venice where we're pitching a virtual reality project which again, it stems probably from what we did on Portal um, in, in, in new forms of entertainment. So I, I'm hopefully going to create the first feature film inside VR because mm. of the mentality of our future artists. Um, and then we've got this home of honest coffee, which is a place where creatives and entrepreneurs can come and just have a workspace which is free in the city centre of Manchester. Um, and you don't need to be a member, you don't have to pay any money, you can just come and use the space, super fast internet and good quality food and drink at a good price. And it means that when I started, and like when you started, I used to use the Corner House Wi-Fi for free mm. in Manchester. That's gone now, and people crack down on you if you stay in a coffee shop for more than an hour and don't buy anything. Well, I'm like, well, where are these this new freelancers and these artists and creatives going to go? Because they've got no grants, because the Conservatives have cut everything, and there's no money out there because of the old credit crunch or whatever the scandal, scandalous banks have done to everybody. So I'm I'm gonna I'm in a position now. I'm not a rich man, <laughs> but I I'm savvy enough in my head to go. This is how you create a space. Mm-hmm. So I did it for fourteen thousand pounds, which included three months' rent, and now it has to be self-sufficient. And luckily, because of the ethos, because people know who we are, and because we're genuine, people come. Yeah, and they come in and loving it, and they're like, "Let's build more of these things." And I'm like. Mm-hmm. okay I think I can do that I can be that leader I can be that guy So, but you have to get investors and they have to trust you and yeah. use accountants and things like that so it started off five or six years ago 2009 as sort of an idea concept and a few people working together not really knowing why we were doing it now I know why we are doing it because there's a need for it because without us doing this I look around and there's nobody else doing it so I'm like okay am I going to be that guy I'll be that yeah. guy I don't mind being that guy. You've always, you've always been. Um, you've always. You think you've got transmedia, but you've always been. You've always seemed to me slightly ahead of the curve in terms of um, not restricting yourself to whatever the current current format was. So whether it be VHS, DVD, over the years, Netflix, you were. You always seem to be some a little jump ahead. Don't of Don't follow trends, Ben. That's well, the most important. Oh, no, never I, follow I, I trends. That massively. I, um, yeah, I get, I get a lot of design and, and art graduates ask you know who, yeah. and I went through the same phase at, at uni of. Um, you know, picking up the Guardian or whatever was the contemporary thing at the time, and seeing what styles were. And I, for a little while, I went off track and started creating a style that was closer to that because I thought that would get me in with that. But no, by the time you get there and you've chased that shadow, gone. they've gone. Yeah. Gone. Um, so you have to create something that's timeless and that's so you, so that it lasts. 
but in in terms of the format in which you've done that, you've always you know you were the first person. I, you know, through you, I learned about ebooks. For you, I hear about always the first things about Oculus Rift and VR. Is then you're my source for that. You know, right. um, I think I'm a sort. I think Future Artists actually because we've got quite we've got like seven thousand followers on Twitter and big mailing lists and stuff. I th- and I need to give more information out properly because I'm, it is me that does all that. Yeah. Types it in and sends it. Yeah. And and, you, and I am a reference point for quite a few people. Um, but I should I can be better at it. Yeah. Because there's a lot that I could probably share. But it's nice for you to say that, and I am aware yeah. that. Well, it's true. I mean, and also, place, you know, with Portal, he was the first. We, we worked on, you know, which is a nice honour. Uh, we worked on the first original content for Daily Motion, the second biggest, you know, yeah. VOD platform after, after YouTube. But I find that fascinating. You know, you always because of the pace of technology now, I think you have to be. But again, it comes back to those roots, doesn't it? Of actually having those timeless skills. The the creative thinking the ability to adapt shift and make the most of what you've got if you didn't have those it doesn't matter how well you stay on top of the latest technology you're going to fall behind at some point so I think yeah you, you know. it's, it's going back to those skills is having an open mind having the, the confidence to manage people having your own creative ideas that you dare to stick by yeah. not following trends and not trying to be the next I'm future artists and never trying to be and myself as an artist and never trying to be the next big thing Sometimes I want to be because I want to like go. Hey, look, we've done the first this we and we've done do. this we and all that. Do, yeah. But then I go and go. Well, that's not what I'm doing it for. You know, you, you sometimes you wonder why you're not being picked up by mm. certain broadcasters and you, why you're not on an arts program and stuff like that. And then you or think, why you've got your art director starting off and calling you a prick in front of certain <laughs> actors dressed as strippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I completely lost my shit <laughs> on several moments during that film. But then other people do that. Like Craig, who was completely headstrong throughout the project, lost his mind at one point. I remember him storming. Everyone always loses but their then mind. Everyone gets to the, what I learned, that was one of the things I learned about being on film, is then everyone gets to the pub and everyone's all right, because that's the nature of the beast. And I, I'd love to see sort of like, like Hollywood diva directors just completely snapping and things. And it goes on, and it's because it's so stressful, isn't it, working with all the disciplines and managing it all all the time. Yeah. So you're going to break at some point. It's the it's 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 the it's called taming the beast in the film industry. Um, you can't. It's a beast that goes, and you have to follow it. And and when it's formed at the end, and you give it to the audience, it's no longer yours anyway. Mm. They all make their own interpretations of what it is. Even if you went, it's this, it's this. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 it's this, it's over yeah. here, it's this. Um, We're now all at the mercy of comments pages. You're at the mercy of the <laughs> trolls on those internet comment pages <laughs> and the Daily Mail. That's what we are. We're all slaves to the Daily Mail now. <laughs> oh God. It's incredible. <laughs> oh god! So, so yeah. So I mean, that's quite. A, it's quite a range of things that you're doing as ever, as as am I. But um, it's exciting. Yeah, I think you know. Are you still feeling good about it? I mean, we always get times where you. I think, don't. I what don't. Am I doing? But, but yeah, I mean, I'm in a good place at the moment where I'm actually getting paid for the first time. You know, future artists for me was four years of unpaid work, and a lot of debt came out of the collapse of the Black Lion, and version two of future artists is I get paid my team get paid um, we're on we've got the working hours down to where they need to be so although I'm in a in a topsy-turvy creative world I only work either four or five days a week try and do four <laughs> um, and I have three days off and then really intense four days where I do 12 hour days and so that's future artists for me and then leading the team and, and, and working with individuals releasing their potential then always going back and figuring out how I started and then bringing people for, through which is what the Home of Honest Coffee is about because there are so many young creatives in that space now that I'm starting to get to know and I'm like okay I'll, I'll do 
I'll invite you down, for example, to do a talk and you know show them the book and, and things like that. Cause that's a great guide. Champagne and wax cranes is a, is a great guide of how to do the freelance career and what actually happens. Mm. Um, and then I can do workshops with them and say, you know, this is how you do this and that and the other. And then you know, get an accountant and say, look, this is how you do the base because you are a business. Yeah, we're in a. I think we have to go back and always help others out and pull yeah. them through because that will also that will make us stronger because. We've got the young people have always got the ideas yeah. <laughs> um, and plus it, it, it brings the, the, the next generation through that are hopefully going to be the ones that, that change the world we're not yeah. that old actually we're in the mid 30s no we're not and, and, and the thing is I'm, it's the, reason, the reason I'm doing this and the reason I've written a book and the reason I continue to write and get out there now is because I'm concerned about what happens if that next generation goes the wrong way and gets lost in virtuality and games and apathy I don't want that to happen. I see great potential in those things. As, as, as dangerous as they are, it's a real double-edged sword, and I want it to go the positive way, and I want this whole generation of people with these transferable skills to come up, and, and I want fluidity, you know? I don't want... You know, I would like... The, what I've done, illustrators going and working in film, working in photography, and writing, and broadcasting, it's all there now at our fingertips. The, the skill, the technical skills, and the platforms are all there and readily accessible. What's going away is the skill, the foundation skills that we move there what's being lost so I want to by writing these things I want to create these accounts of actually it's not all as textbook as it might seem on a course you know it's about it is about fuck ups and it's about losing your bag on the film sets when you shouldn't even be there in the first place so that's my kind of mission at the minute is to is to keep that going and try and help as much as possible you know so if, you know in the absence of capital hopefully if there's people like ourselves that um, love it so much that they want to share it and bring the other people through you know like you say it I think by being selfless, you you learn a lot yourself. I'm learning so much from every person that I interview on this thing, so it's great. You know, not only am I bringing these ideas to people who are going to listen to this show, but I'm actually taking a hell of a lot away from it myself. And I just hope that the listeners that are listening to this, they can uh, we start from Twitter, can't they? Can tweet you and uh, and have these, you know, continue these conversations because I bet they've got ideas and and that's where the that's where that collective mentality comes in because you as an individual have only got so much time and mm. me too and doing four or five days a week instead yeah. of doing the old seven days 14 hour day yeah. days that we used to do so uh, you know it's combining energies and things but yeah. there is something interesting happening right now in terms of social in the world of England um, because of we're in a we're in a change in time mm. because the conservative government are only so we're talking politics but they they the conservatives are about keeping things the same and keeping the position of the elite um, in unchecked so it doesn't change and they've done that for generations and generations. Only the turn of the twentieth century did the Labour Party get its its oars in, and that was after the Second World War really where it where it came to prominence. So only in the past sixty years has England had a working class voice in politics, of which me and you are products of that. Um, although I voted the Green Party, so I'm a that's morphed even more backwards into that. But the Conservative um, rhetoric and what they do is about protecting a position, which is why you'll never see them being creative and stepping out of the norm and even doing things like investing in solar panels and, 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 and green technology because their position is to protect the oil companies which fund everything that they do and major corporations they can't step over mm. the line it's not in their interests and it's not even in their reason they went to got educated at Eton and, and wherever it never they were never taught that so they've never seen startup mentality they've never mm. seen a studio like this they've never yeah. and so it's up to us if we're going to change that status quo and it's going to be hard 
we got to club together and figure out how to do it so we can't have loads of infighting here on our no, side because th- they've got it locked down and they got the whole system locked yeah. down and they're there to protect that system yeah. I'm not talking about a revolution and smashing it to pieces and stuff I'm just about making it fairer for everybody and, and knowing that there is another side to it Yeah. and that's where I think artists have to come in now mm. and, and, and mirror up to the world as we always do and yeah. say <laughs> this is what it is guys yeah. what do you think <laughs> I think I think you're spot on well, to sign off, I'm going to give you the usual um, sign-off section, uh, the shark in the tank, and I ask people to name um, either or, or both uh, something you love, something you hate, like a creative work. Well, it can be anything from a film, a theme, a poster, whatever, anything. Just uh, something that really gets you back up, or something that you really love, or both. Which one's first? Uh, can have either or, or you can do either or you can do both you can do it can be an all time thing or it can be something just that's just you know maybe just grabbed you today for example so what I really like in art is is street art of all shapes and variety but particularly political stuff so stuff that's got a, a meaning and yeah it's just it's statement stuff really mm-hmm. I like it to be clever as well so mixed media so not just a stencil yeah I like yeah, it yeah. when they Incorporate the the scene and they put little figures in there and graphic things like activism. That. Yeah, yeah. I studied my dissertation was graphic activism and it's still a major influence, certainly in my visual style. But I like seeing it live because as soon as you take a picture of said street scene, it becomes a two D image of which it doesn't sit in its context yeah. anymore, which means it means something different. Yeah. So I like I search out these things. That's what I like to do. So I travel around the world when I do travel and I go to the other side of town and, and try and find these things yeah. and then Instagram it and it becomes something else. <laughs> it becomes me showing off then. Um, what I hate in art and stuff is laziness. Damien Hurst, a bit lazy. <laughs> He's got a factory, that those docks that he just sells for a few thousand pounds. And uh, the spinny, roundy bit of art that is done, you know, um, and, and makes a a head full of jewels, which it does as a sta- I can see the statement there, you know, the skull, the gold skull with all the jewels and diamonds on it. But those artists that are held up in high esteem in the art world, but are no longer relevant to the world that they actually reside in, because mm. he, yes, he is an artist, but he isn't an artist of his time. He's, he shouldn't be having. All the focus shouldn't be on those kind of artists. They should be yeah. the media I should agree. start digging in a little bit more and, and finding stuff. He's actually one stuff. of my favourite artists, but actually, all of the favourite stuff is the stuff that he did when he came through. The, uh, that's why this is called the Shack in the Tunnel. It's my favourite piece of work because it's but it's just it's mind blowing. But I agree with the, with the recent stuff. It's it's become a repetitive, you know. A and the mad and the mad thing is the formaldehyde. Is that you say it? <laughs> shark is obviously decomposing in that tank and has been shifted around a lot. I think it was recently sold for more money and it's a decomposing shark mm. in a tank now with bits floating around everywhere. It's symbolic. It, I think it's, it's... So that then, does Damien Hurst then become relevant again because that sale of a, of a shitty <laughs> shark that's fallen to bits Maybe. is worth more than the original... <laughs> There, we could talk all day about the meaning of art, but yeah, just laziness in art. I, I use Damon as an, as, an, as an example there, mm. but just laziness yeah. in art. Yeah. So that's why I'm not going to go and make the fluffy talking animals that mm. go on an adventure. Yeah. I'll make the fluffy talking animals that go and uh, kick ass with bazookas and machine guns and uh, 
and it's in virtual reality or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Brilliant. Over and out. And lastly, uh, where can people, where's the best place for people to see what you're up to? Website, Future Artists? Yeah, so I guess if you Google Future Artists, the, the website's interesting as a point of reference, but if you really want to see what we do and what we're about, it's by getting involved, really. Mm-hmm. Come to the Home of Honest Coffee on 77 to 79 Chapel Street, Salford. Um, or, yeah, check out Portal, check out Your State of Emergency, uh, Lost Generation. They're all online, they've all been pirated. They're all on the, <laughs> the, your usual pirate sites. Um, and, uh, yeah, check out the new works that we do and just support what we're about because if we're trying to be the voice of um, of our community, our generation, we're going to need your help, the listener, you know. So we'll we'll lead the vanguard, but we're going to need support. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time, Mark. Happy days. Portal, in particular, on Daily Motion, the sci-fi series that Mark and I discussed, is still the most high-octane, stressful, long-term projects I've worked on. Um, spanning six weeks during filming, uh, you can add on a couple more months in terms of the production design, which wasn't too bad leading up to that. But, you know, when there's me and Kev Bannon, who was my assistant art director on the project, dragging, dragging around filing cabinets um, and trying to make them into supercomputers with a zero previous experience in prop design, that's a little taster of what was going on on that project and then the stress of working on set with actors and extras and cameramen and, you know, it just it was absolutely bonkers experience, but one that I don't regret. Uh, it gave me a flavour of all the different areas and I can't recommend enough uh, getting involved with independent film, if you can. It doesn't matter what you do. If you can dip your toe in that world, it's a, it's a kind of good industry to be in with if you can and it's more about who you know than... Most of the disciplines, in my opinion, you know, um, you, if you go back and listen to the episode with Kyla Pellucci, um, she was, you know, telling us about how it was a friend of a friend who put her in touch with Adam Stockhausen, who was the uh, designer on While We're Young with Ben Stiller, um, and it's it's just that's what it's like right throughout. It doesn't matter whether it's the local man in town, uh, as was the case with me meeting Mark Cashmore indirectly through um, a graphic design friend of mine. And our journey started there, but you know that runs right the way up to Hollywood. If you know the right people and you can get in people's faces and tell them about what you do, then you know you might even get an in. And it's an exciting world to be a part of uh, these days. A lot of good film going on. So let us know your thoughts at Arrest on the Mix on the Twitter, Arrest on the Mix at Gmail dot com, uh, Facebook dot com forward slash Arrest on the Mix. You guys are feeling generous and want to go and support Mark Ashmore's latest Kickstarter campaign, which is for a brand new gallery uh, artist's exhibition space as part of the Future Artists Co-op in Manchester. Uh, You can actually go and support that uh, at Kickstarter if you check out the show notes for this uh, this episode. It'll be below the description and uh, you can chuck in a fiver and uh, maybe you'll get a show there soon. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, And today's tip from Heart Internet, one of our uh, proud supporters... Uh, we're going to take a little look at the very basics of SEO. Again, very bite-sized, very quick tips, just something you can jot down in front of your computer and hopefully act upon quite soon to improve the the, the presence of your website and your social media. Uh, in this case, SEO, for anyone who's actually not come across it, search engine optimization. So long story short, it kind of means how you're ranked on Google, uh, the world's biggest search engine, and where you're likely to be found when someone's looking for the service you're providing. You know, so obviously in my case, illustration, art direction, podcasting these days, and writing. 
And the tip for today is to add Google Webmaster to your website. Um, it's a very basic tool, one line of one line of coding, I'm told. It basically gives you a lot of valuable information on how Google sees your website. So, for example, any problems, um, it will recognize titles of yeah, you know, titles and titles of website pages and page names, which sounds really simple. But if you've got two, for example, that are matching, uh, Google's not going to know which one to rank in its search engines. Uh, it will also tell you what your website is ranking uh, in the results for. So, for example, you know, uh, what is Google seeing your website as being about? You know, if you're an illustrator, you don't want to be coming up under fashion and makeup, perhaps, unless you are a fashion illustrator. So it just gives you little bits of really valuable but really simple information. Um, so get onto you know your web developer, your uh, Squarespace, you know whoever's whoever does your web stuff, and just you know make sure to get the uh, Google Webmaster added uh, to the site, and it could really change a lot of things for you and help you get up those rankings and get a better presence. You know, it might be the difference between somebody finding you ranked 54th on Google and 55th. You know, you don't want to, you don't, guy 54 doesn't want to get given the job. Um, you know, when you're girl 55, for example. So just absolutely make sure you've got these things in place and it's a little basic starter. Uh, Google Webmaster will also tell you about any security issues and any problems on the site like malware. So get it done. Really simple stuff, but we all need it uh, in the arts. You know, it's uh, digital's huge now, and obviously we are really on the internet. So get that stuff sorted. And that's this week's tip, courtesy of Heart Internet. Thanks for listening, guys. As ever, I hope you took a lot away from the show. Mark Ashmore's a valuable character to know, and I hope he brought some of that wisdom to the show today and gave you a few pointers to do with attitude. You know, breaking into any industry. These these shows are always applicable across all de- you know all disciplines. Um, you can't be as literal as to look at it and think, oh, I'm not in film, I don't, I don't need to hear it. It's always about the ideas and about um, people skills and tra- you know creative skills. So hopefully it was a really useful one today and a nice little introduction for anyone looking to get into film. Let us know your thoughts. As ever, all the usual social media channels. Subscribe on iTunes, it does help us a lot. Um, and share with a friend. You know, if you are finding this show useful, it's out there, it's free for everyone. So let your mates know about it. You know, if you know someone who's struggling and looking for a little bit of input, a little bit of inspiration, uh, Arrest All Mimics, it really is the place to go. So thanks for checking in as ever, uh, and we'll catch you next time. We've got awesome guests on the way, as ever, increasingly diverse. Uh, I'm kind of sick of saying that now, but you get the deal. I love this show. I love the arts. I like to spread the love. See you next time. You've been listening to a